episode number 28 of the Steven Sersky Podcast. That's me. Thanks for joining me. Today's episode was recorded on location at the Aurora Nightclub here in Beijing, China. The recording date was Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. My guest today was, is Donnie Fan. He's a New York raised, born and raised uh, writer and comedian. He now lives in Beijing, China, much like myself. We were able to finally meet in person after having some technical issues, and we uh, met at the Aurora Nightclub here in Beijing. We met after his uh, first tragedy that he uh, wrote and had performed a couple of weeks ago. It was called The Medea, the same one written by Euripides, but modernized and all in Chinese. We uh, spent the time talking about what it's like to be an expat here in Beijing and in China, what it's like to travel throughout the country, and what it's uh, what the comedy scene is like and what the theater scene is much uh, is like these days. Uh, Donnie is in the uh, process of creating his own stand-up comedy routine, a full hour-long presentation that he hopes to take on tour throughout the country and hopefully even beyond. Uh, so we spent the time talking about uh, what it's like living living here in China and laughing about it as we went along. Hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, again, this episode was recorded on location. So if you hear some voices in the background, well, that's the people showing up. That's the audience showing up for the stand-up comedy night that happens every Wednesday night at the uh, Aurora Nightclub. Here it is, episode number 28, Steven Sersky Podcast with Donnie Fan. Cheers. 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 Thanks. <laughs> um, the, when I first came here, there was a guy named Jim who worked with me. He was married to a Chinese woman, and Jim couldn't speak any English. Oh, sorry, Chinese. Chinese yeah. His wife couldn't speak any English, and they communicated primarily through the phone. Right. They, would, like, they were married for five years. They were older. They were like, he was in his 70s, she was in her late 50s, I think. Jeez. And they would just communicate primarily through the phone. And he told me a story. I haven't said this ever. Um, where he actually met her on a website called China Love Cupid. Yeah. And um, uh, he met her on that when he was still in America. And he was, like, typing all of these dirty, like, sexy messages to her, like, uh, after they had been talking for a while. And he's like, I'm going to go to China. I'm going to meet you. These are all the really raunchy things I want to do with you. She would reply, oh, yeah, I want to do those things too. I, I don't mind your age. It's perfect for me, blah, 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 blah. He gets to China, finds out she doesn't speak any English. He said, who was writing that? She said, my daughter. Oh, wow. That's, um, How old was his daughter, though? The, like in her 30s. 30s, okay. Yeah. At least it wasn't the granddaughter. It was <laughs> <laughs> Although, to be fair, they'd probably have a little bit more uh, knowledge to, on some of those things as well. Yes, that's, fair. That's oh, fair. God. If, uh... I, I wonder if that happens more. That happened last last generation. I don't think our generation is as, as susceptible to that sort of online. It's not no. a scam. It's the online meeting. We come to China, and we get on the online dating apps like Tinder, Tantan, things like that. And yeah. we do meet a lot of people. And I recently came across some of the... Uh, like I took screenshots of stuff I sent to people before women. I'd be afraid to go back. It's embarrassing. It's, it's just, 
it's embarrassing. You're sitting there going, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, you're saying Zwo. What's, what Zwo are you using? I mean, you got the wrong everything on this one. And I, she literally asked the question, like, what, what do you mean by this? I'm like, I thought I was pr- perfectly clear in what I meant. Yeah, well, that's a, it's a, it's a, that's a, the culture problem um, that I found, like, as a single person trying to date, uh, just, and I've been here long enough where I should know this, as have you probably, um, where there's just, you don't say certain things like, what do you want to do? And they're like, well, what, do you, what do you mean, what do I want to do? Yeah. It's like, well, if I said this in English, hey, tonight, are you free? What do you want to do? It could be anything. We could do anything. And they're like, oh, do you mean you want to do something? Yes. <laughs> I want to, we can go see a movie. We can go out to eat. We can do, it's just like, well, do you want to do the other thing? Well, uh, yeah. I mean, if, if that's a, available, if that's an option, sure, that wasn't what I meant, but sure. And then they're like, oh, you're a pig, and they delete you. Oh. It's like, oh, no. So you're not supposed to say yes to it. I don't, I don't know what you're supposed to do. When you follow the rules, they're like, there's no rules to love. You don't follow the rules, there and they're like, rules. you're doing the wrong thing. So, <laughs> I think there are rules. And I don't think that's Chinese-related. I think that's That's, that's global. global. No, yeah. that's definitely That's just global. talking to women, and, you know, I'm not a misogynist. Just, <laughs> it's dating. It's that's what dating. that is. I mean, I, I, I highly suspect that it's the same for, like, the whole uh, LGBT community, gay community, everything. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they have it even worse in China, because... I don't know if a lot of, um, like, just trying to very, so there's some things where you're kind of like, they're still 20 years behind, but then there's some things that are a little bit more modern. I mean, AI, they're speeding ahead. Yeah. Electric vehicle penetration, fantastic. But, like, some of the other things, you know, I don't know, um, the wives working, finding jobs, even though they have husbands that pay a lot of money as well, I've noticed that that's been an issue as well. It's like, it's very much last generation in some in some aspects and dating as well. Uh, I think some of the, the girls that are a bit older, not old, but they're older than the young university students out there. The young university yeah. students have more of the game, but the older ones, like the thirties, the forties, I mean, they're, I mean, they're just looking for a decent guy. I mean, yeah. they're not, they have no ulterior motives as far as I know. I don't know. I, I, what's your experience been? They want kidneys. Uh, they want they want organs for for no um no i think they want the kid uh, (laughs) forget the knee part they just want the kid because if they're 40 they're wanting the kids already um in my experience uh with with it's really hard to say because it's it's so my experience is just that you I, i want to give everybody like the chance to be themselves and i want to give somebody the chance to really know who i am and and know me and in the dating circles, um, it just feels like the, the younger people, they, they, they do have their eyes set on a, a goal, maybe. It, and it's not just Chinese. This, is, this was my experience. Like, this is just the online dating experience. If you get five days a week to meet five different guys. And at the end of the week, you say, oh, well, which guy is going to be, you know, do I like most? And I'll, I'll go see him again next week. Um, and I'm maybe a little bit old school for, for an American where I'm like, oh, I want to, when I when I meet a girl, I'm into her. I'm gonna put, set my eyes on her, and uh, you know see how that goes. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine. And then I you know move on. Um, but my my phone. I didn't understand that. The AI. Uh, it interrupts a lot of my comedy shows too. I'll just be talking. And it's like, what did you say? Um, so when I'm 
meet people here, I'm just really weary, weary uh, that they're like, ah, which, which number guy am I that you met this week? And are you trying to figure out what boxes I tick? Yeah. And are we going to meet again? And then we might meet again because I met those, those, that criteria for the first date, but now on the second date you've met now this whole new group of people, uh, and now how do I compare there? doesn't work, and that's the younger. When you go to the older people, then they're just like ready to jump right in. When I say older, I don't, I don't know really how old I mean. You know, 30s, 40s, upper like, 30s, 40s. I haven't really dated yeah. too many people in their 40s, but um, eh, nobody. Getting there. Nobody in their 40s. <laughs> Getting there, yeah. Um, I'm 32, <laughs> so I'm not opposed, I guess. Uh, experience matters. But um, like people in their late 20s, early 30s, they tend to be much faster and they yeah. want you to make a decision like really quickly. It's like, well, which is I'm, bizarre because it's like that's not how it works. We have so many opportunities. Why would we make that decision so quickly? I, I don't know. So both both sides. I'm not really. Um, I, I it's just I've been single for a while primarily because I just I've kind of given up. <laughs> but in the all like, like in your entire time in Beijing, or is it? A... No, I, I I've uh, I've had relationships and uh, you know mostly. On the shorter term, like nothing really yeah. to go over over a year, because uh, it's a little scary in Beijing where you get to the yearish mark, and it's like, all right, we're gonna go meet your parents, and we're oh, gonna wow. go like you know commit, and it's like, ah, uh, uh. <laughs> then we're gonna have a child by uh, nine, yeah. if, month eighteen of this relationship, which is for me just not financially possible. <laughs> so so I that's think for my a lot that's of my financially impossible. Yeah, yeah, but I wonder if that like uh, like with the sort of the women that are a little bit more driven i do see that happening and some of the f older foreigners that i know i think they're they're okay with going along with it because i, I mean yeah. whether they could have that when they in their homeland their hometown or whatever i don't know if it's the same availability whereas yeah. here it's like i mean if you say yes to a, uh, a chinese woman they will say okay then these are the the marks that we're going to hit it's going to be one year parents plan the wedding marriage you know, and kids, like, within two years, your life will have changed, and you will be at the same level that all the people that you left behind in your hometown, you're there. It, it's, it's a little bit frustrating, because when I talk to Chinese people about stuff like this, they're like, no, that's not, that's not how it is. What do they say? Like, well, it, they'll say it's, like, kind, like, just, it, it depends on the person. But there's a, <laughs> yes. a very specific, it's not one type. But I do think foreigners, especially older foreigners, um, just from what I see, not my, my experience, although I'm, my birthday is this month, so this oh, month. Happy so birthday. Thank you. I'm getting closer to it, I guess. But in my experience, like the kind of person who is looking for a foreigner, because you have to yes. be a different person to yeah. be looking for a foreigner. If that's like actively what you want to do, like I'm, you know, I don't find somebody in this, this pool that I'm normally in. Let me go check the foreign pool. Um, then you do have a lot of people who are much more... <laughs> Check the foreign pool. Well, this one's a little too cold for me, so I'm going to go over there. <laughs> I, I think that's how it, it tends to be. It's a, a certain type of person. So those people, you know, those people. Am I allowed to say that in China? I think so. Those I've people, lost track. Um, I think they, they have a specific target. And I don't think that target's necessarily wrong. And I don't think it's judgmental to say this is the target of this certain kind of person yeah um but you know especially when you go older older like the guys in their 60s 70s who come here then it's definitely a totally different game but i don't think but. those guys are looking to play the game too much i mean they, i think they're coming over 
and I've met a few of the guys who are in uh, 60s, 70s, grandparents, well, I would call them grandparent age because that would be my grandparents, but or actually my parents, I would say. Uh, but I don't think they're looking to, you know, they have no illusions. I mean, yeah. they're coming over, they're like, you know, I, I'm probably going to spend my twilight years here. I want to try something new. It's better than, than in, like, the Philippines and Thailand, for sure. Oh, like, the, yeah. like the, the, uh, the older generations here tend to have a, a bit more appreciation, I think, for the culture. I think it's part of the, the visa application process. It's a little bit more difficult yeah. in China. Indonesia, Thailand, not in Philippines, uh, not so difficult to get a visa to go there yeah. uh, so that you can get on a a flight and fly over pretty quickly, I would say. In fact, in uh, the U.S., we don't need visas. We just go. We need, uh, yeah, that's right. We you just guys, go. We just uh, go. Visa on arrival. So yeah. Canadians do as well. Uh, we uh, we get Indonesia. I think it's thirty days. Philippines, I can't remember. It's, Thailand, it's three months. Philippines, I think, is when I was there. They're like, you have forever. I, I think <laughs> I could be America. I, I could be wrong, but they wouldn't let me open a bank account. I was upset about that because I was like, I I can get a Visa card. All that money seven laundering. years without a visa. <laughs> <laughs> so let me get a visa here. And they're like, where's your like residency? I'm like, oh, I can do everything else. I don't have a residency permit. So uh, never mind. Would it be difficult to get, though? Because those, some of those residents, because I was talking to the, the, the tax people in Canada, and they're like, well, actually, it was my trading account. And they're like, oh, well, you know, yeah, as soon as you come back to Canada and prove your residence, I'm like, Is this what, podcast like, going to get me arrested? <laughs> Only if they listen to it and find something incriminating, which probably not. I mean, right. they'll, they'll be like, we know all of this. Uh, this is nothing new to us. Fair enough. But the, uh, they were talking to me about, like, oh, yeah, you can just uh, show us a, a, a statement. I'm like, like, you mean the statement that still has my current address on it? Because I'm like, I do have a mailing address in Canada. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know what would change, but I guess they're looking for, like, a phone bill. This, The reason I ask is because... Uh, like in Australia, I had the same issue where like you had to get uh, a residence and all you needed was a phone bill to an address. Well, it was a hostel. You could go sign up at a, a phone, like really? uh, was it a Telstar or something, and you would put down your hostel address and then ha they would mail it to you and there was your proof of residence. And you're going, that's it? My whole respect of the tax system, and uh, that might get me in trouble saying my respect of the tax system has lessened, but uh, I, wow, I mean, the residency, uh, let's face it, a lot of the world runs on free labor and immigrant labor and people trying to skirt under the, the visa regulations. I mean, where would our waiters and restaurants and bartenders come from? Now I kind of want to go to Australia. Uh, it's a well, plan now. a bit too old for the uh, the working visa, I think. Really? Unless they changed it to thirty five, I can't remember. The, uh, I was. They don't there. let they don't let foreigners in Australia over for the 30? working holiday visa. You can go work on a farm. That's fun. Wow. Yeah, it's an experience. With like kangaroos. There's lots of kangaroos. They shoot them regularly. They're oh, like they're, they're like mosquitoes there. I want to try kangaroo jerky. They can. Yeah. I I've seen it online, and I like trying weird things. I've had a lot of weird food. In China, and uh, like kangaroos on top of my list. Penguin, they don't make penguin, but I don't know if you can do. Is that allowed? Is no, that... no, it's not allowed. But it's something that if it's ever allowed, like I when I heard the shark fin, like I gotta go try shark fin. Um, and we just okay, lost like, the audience. <laughs> <laughs> All right, shark fin. We can move on. Dog? What about dog? Let's lose more people. I, I won't eat dog. Oh, okay, uh, why not? I. <laughs> um, 
So try shark food, I don't, but not I don't dog. know if it's principal. Uh, I was in a place in uh, Yunnan province in uh, Dali, and uh, up, up about an hour away from the main city, there's a small town, and I think it's called Weichung. Weichung. And um, they've got like Weichung Guchung, which is the Weichung old town. And in there, it's just dog hot pot restaurants right. oh, side yeah. by side by side. I was terrified when I, like, terrified's a, a strange word, I guess. But I was, I was uh, uh, really uncomfortable seeing just like all these things that said dog hot pots. And there would be like these mangy looking pups running around outside and then you get like the stereotypes in your head like those are somebody's dog right or were they though are they yeah uh, they they don't look healthy if they are for for you know eating purposes and one of my friends uh it turns out her grandmother's from that that place because they sent a picture to my wechat moments she's like oh that's my hometown you should go to my grandmother's restaurant and it's like oh no <laughs> but then i found out it was like a noodle place and i'm like oh. <laughs> go new roman go go roman there you go <laughs> go that was the the they were everywhere uh, and it was a shame because it was a pretty cool looking place then uh it's the, it's the dog i yeah a lot of people have hang-ups about it i've seen it on like every year when they hold that that festival uh down the yeah. side, it's not yunnan it's the other place ule or whatever it is they have a dog meat festival. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, every year I hear about it. It's always in like the ba- the Beijing or somebody will always do this article like this is from the past. You should stop this. Don't yeah. don't do this. And then it's like, uh, I love dogs. I won't I won't eat it because because of dogs. I I think when it's like a cultural, um, I don't know tradition. I don't know if it should count as a tradition. I don't know what what makes something culturally acceptable as a tradition. Um, my uh, take on it has been like I, I wonder if it's always been dogs as we know it, or has it been mm-hmm. because in this part of the world there have been what you would call dogs running around and they were just yeah. another meat source like deer in Canada or yeah. elk. You know, you go shoot elk and then it was just like or kangaroo in Australia. Yeah. It's like well we have lots of them we don't we, we don't keep them as pets. Whereas it's like it's sort of changed, and now with the modern social media and you know the uh, hubbub probably... about that, I, I don't know. I think it's changed a little bit. It's probably easy research too, and all you have to do is Google like history of eating dog, and none of us are probably going to ever do that. So we just continue to guess. <laughs> I've tried it once, uh, and I, the way that it was put to me, I was uh, with a friend at the time, and he was like, "Well, I just don't want any animal to." To think that it's above me in the chain, <laughs> and that kind of I'm like, yeah, you know, because like, faced with a lion, let's put it: if you're in the jungle, if you go to one of the zoos and you're all cocky and like, oh, I'm a human, I can do whatever, the lion isn't going to stop at your car and go, humans, can't eat that. He's going to be like, well, I'm hungry and you're there, so I'm going to eat you. I mean, there's that sort of tit for tat in the li- the the animal kingdom that they'll eat us just as fast as we could eat them. There's a comedy bit in there somewhere. Now <laughs> so... I've, I've got my, the wheels running. <laughs> that's actually, that's pretty good. That's a good premise. So this podcaster mm. came over here this one time. <laughs> Funny story, he never came back from that dog hunt. Oh, yeah. Pay, 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 pay. Do you, do you say that as well? Pay, pay, pay? No, no I don't. No? Yeah, I don't. My girlfriend says that whenever I say something that, you know, pay for po- for bodes. Right. Like, pay, 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 pay. Oh, I, usually when I hear it, it's once. It's like, hey, why don't you tell me, pay? Oh. It's just like a one thing, a one time. 
you know, she says it once, and it's like, shut up. Oh, this is more like to ward off, like it's a, like knock on wood. Oh, Same really? Thing. Oh, I haven't heard this. Yeah, so it's like she she oh. does it again. Oh, we could have cancer. Pay, 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 pay. Like, we're not going to have cancer. It's just funny to think about it. Where's it's not your... funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's not funny to think about cancer, but, I mean, uh, well, of all Depends things, on the kind of cancer. Well, I don't know. I had one cousin die of cancer. That was terrible. Too, but uh, when I first came, uh, when, when I came back to China the second time, the my whole, ex- I swear, when I started working at this new place, it was like mo- every second person was was either gay or they had cancer. Every third person, I should say, because not every every second person, but it was like it was like it was like the eighties in New York City. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what the eighties were like, but in the in 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 New York, but yeah, it was just like. Everyone, there was all these like, oh, ex-colleague had, now has cancer. This person is recovering from cancer. I'm like, what, what did I get myself into? This, is this what this job does? I mean, I, I, this doesn't sound very safe, but I've been there for long enough. But. Probably eating dog meat. Just last fine. Or smoking, and I think they belong to part of that generation where it was uh, a lot of the English teachers who were the people who left and were like on adventures and just mm. got into English teaching. So, I mean, it was a lot of party harders sort of thing. Not saying that they all were, uh, but certainly a lot of the people. And, and it's kind of like the old school from 10, 15 years ago where they're like, well, I'm going to travel the world, I'll teach English, and I'll make money along the way. Yeah. And that's, that's sort of who you see, who I saw leaving five, eight years ago or so. But, I mean, we've both here, been here for eight years already. Did you live in another country before here? Other near? I uh, lived in a few other countries. Uh, started out in Korea. Uh, I've done uh, Australia, but Australia didn't live any one place. I moved around as part of the working holiday yeah. thing. Uh, Ukraine for a little bit, and then China. Okay. I think that's China has been where I've been for the last eight years. I think. I'd be curious to know more about how expats live in other countries and if they live the same way they do in Beijing. They do because it's. I would I would hope not. That would be I would really hope not because the the expats uh, actually the the interesting thing um, for me that I found since COVID is that the expat uh, population uh, has uh, dwindled in numbers but gained in value in quality. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like I'm going to sound like such an asshole. Um, <laughs> And we lost the other <laughs> The large majority of expats that I knew that I didn't like, they all left, like, pre-COVID. Not, like, scared of COVID, like, pre-COVID, like, just yeah, yeah, yeah. the people who every Christmas, every spring festival, every summer, are like, I'm going to go back to see my family and then come back and I'm going to keep, like, you know, working off the back of, uh, you know, whatever... China can give me because I'm not qualified in my home country or whatever. Yep. A, a, a large amount of those people were gone. I spent about five years in China having maybe two or three expat friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so from like 2015 to 2020, I, I barely uh, interacted with the international community here. And then post-COVID, uh, well, I guess in COVID, I remember going to the Burger Festival in 2020, 2020, yeah, and seeing some people that I knew from years back, and they were still here, and I was like, wow, you're still here, what are you, what are you doing? All they would do is, you know, talk about how exciting this part of their life was, or what they're doing here, maybe they got married, maybe they got divorced, but they're happy about it, like, there's, everybody's happy, and they're all starting these little 
pop-ups, this, you know, they're kind of uh, their niche, they found their niche um, in, in Beijing. And these people have all been here for five years, six years, seven years, eight years. And because of COVID, uh, the, the number of people that are here for one year, like the one and done, I guess like, a, like American college sports, like they come here for a year, they do a thing, and then they go back to wherever the fuck they came from. Yeah. Um, those are the people who, who tend to cause the most problems uh, in Beijing, either for our community or like for just local, you know, local issues or, or issues yeah. at work. And they're all gone. And they couldn't come back. Maybe, maybe some of them wanted to. They have their contracts or they still have stuff here. Couldn't get back because of COVID. Couldn't get back because of uh, whatever, you know, different reason it was. Uh, and the, the quality, when I say quality of foreigners, I guess it's not as much about the personality. It's more about the, it's more about the quality of respect. I'm losing you here. It's more about the quality of respect they have for China and living here, and for being one acknowledging this isn't my home country. Yeah. Um. And and being, I guess, humbled. And I think a lot of people were humbled by COVID. In that, you know, we've been living a normal life here for maybe two years. You know, we have some inconveniences that happen. But when you look at what's going on in the West, and one, you hear people talk about in the media and in the news about China, uh, people are having their doors knocked down and they're getting dragged off because they didn't get their vaccinations. And we're like, that's not happening. Where is this coming from? We're just going to Cheesecake Factory yeah. in March in the middle of like America's biggest crisis in Italy and Spain and, and Britain and Australia, and everybody's having all these issues. And we've just been like, living our life as best as we could for the last two years. And I think people started to get, people were actually able to, that were here, maybe if they had some reservations about living here, I think we're really humbled by that experience. And, and I see a lot of the people who are still here, you know, because now people do have the chance to go back home. And the people that I knew who wanted to, a lot of them have stayed. Yeah. And a lot of them have, have just found new respect for, for living here and being here and Part of that, I think, is because like if you leave China now, you're not coming back. Like I know people who've gone That's home to well. visit family, and, and they, I mean, they have, they have family here, but they're going yeah. home to visit other family, their 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 uh, their birth family. Yeah, and it takes forever. I mean, flights are canceled, visas aren't being uh, renewed. It's it's an extended. So it's like once you are gone from China, you better have savings or an income to to help you through the next six months because you're not coming back anytime soon and it's just like it's just how it is because china has clamped down whereas like the states I, I, they talk about border closure i don't think the states actually ever closed their borders entirely i mean it wasn't like a a 9-11 you know everything has to be grounded go through this one port it was it's it's been open whereas china went mm -hmm. xiamen or the other there's one other place that they come through that's it yeah i think shenzhen i think shenzhen yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, well, but what's, what was interesting about it was at the time, like, when China closed its borders, America, like, the New York Times puts out a, a front page, um, China closes borders as a threat to human rights. Like, <laughs> you can't make it up. A week later, a week later, we get front page, New York Times, Donald Trump refuses to close borders. Yeah. Uh, as a threat to, like, American whatever. I forget Freedom. what the exact thing was. Yeah. And it's like, are you... Are you kidding me? Like, I'm, I'm not naive to think that, you know, that I just think there's no perfect place. You know, that's, that's the most I'll say about that. Um, but when, when I'm here in China and I'm watching the way it's being covered and, and, you know, what policies are done here 
and aren't done in other countries or just watching how people are criticizing things um, or praising things. Like South Korea got a, a huge amount of praise uh, when COVID like first started. They were just doing a lot. Of, they were piggybacking on a lot of the things that we were doing here in China. Mm-hmm. It's just never mentioned. Um, like uh, New Zealand did the same thing. They locked yeah. down a lot of places. They just said, don't go anywhere. And then whether it's the, like, uh, before we had the GNCOM bell, the, the health kit, it was like, go to a mall. Here, just write your phone number, write your address, and write your name, and go in. And, you know, now West is... That's freedom. Yeah, That's the, it's a pri- invasion of your privacy and in everything. In what way? In, in, like, <laughs> in what way? I don't... Like, how many websites did you go to today that were tracking you? How many websites are still tracking? You have Facebook? You, you don't have freedom. <laughs> yeah, like, you're being tracked with so many... <laughs> and I think I, my, uh, my big thing's always been, like, if you think any government is that effective like i think that's an overconfidence in the humans who run a lot of things i mean looking at how canada's being run and how there currently there's a a trucker protest they went across the whole country and they've uh, blocked off ottawa and apparently our prime minister is nowhere to be seen he's sick or whatever um i'm not sure if it's COVID or not but it's like I don't know. I think I think a lot of them are just sort of reacting to a lot of things that are happening as well. Everything uh, is is immediate. Everything's, you know, once something <clears throat> happens, it's on a podcast the next day, and people giving their hot takes with no nuance, no background information. It's just this is what we saw reported, and this was the headline. And now I'm going to do five hours about a headline. <laughs> it's like, you did know. you read the article? Did, but do you think that? Uh, would that be an American thing, or would that be like modern social media, or would that be like how the technology has taken it? Because I have noticed that a lot of the American folks that I've met, like they are much more willing to go like, "That's I know the truth. Let me tell you," and they go on, and you're like, "That's one way to look at it." I mean, I, I definitely have like I ran away from American exceptionalism. And yet I retain a lot of it because when people challenge me, I'm like, I have answers to every challenge you've got. Like, I did my research and they're like, yeah, but I did my research too. And I'm like, not as well as I did. Yeah. I think that's, there's a lot of American exceptionalism there. Um, but I do think, like, it's, it's something that's been, been really nice being here is, uh, you know, coming to China, I have my views of French people, which um, actually probably haven't changed that much. They're all still assholes, right? Um, <laughs> there goes the other. Just, just the kidding. <laughs> uh, that's you know. I had I was just ate at a French restaurant um, before, and I explained that to my friend. I'm like, oh, you know, Americans don't like French people. And why like, is why? that though? I don't know. I, the the Revolutionary War. Like, even a... though you guys, not you guys. Sorry, <laughs> you're from Quebec. You maybe. people. <laughs> <laughs> the French, you know, helped with the the Revolutionary War for uh, America, but um, the. What was I saying? Um, when I came here, I got to actually meet French people from France and Italian people from Italy. And, you know, in New York City, we have all, all of them as well, but you actually don't really communicate with them too much. Like, you know, people stay in their, in their circles, even like the New York City expats. You don't just, uh, in Times Square or, or, you know, Union Square, like you don't just run into people from different countries. But are they expats in New York? Uh, tourists, travelers, yeah. maybe there's some expats. Um, like, how would you even define an expat in New York? Because like, New York is such a, a, a smorgasbord of everybody. I mean, it's, the, it's, a, it's a cultural melting pot. It's a phenomenal city. I mean, it has best. phenomenal power. Best city in the world. The, I mean, it has such pull, such sway. And I mean, 
I think what was it uh, that that movie Whiplash where the drummer guy, mm. the teacher says, you know, it's the best drummers in the world. He's like, you're not making an exaggeration. I mean, you want to make it, you got to go to New York, yeah, and you got to go through the gauntlet of what New York puts you through. So, like, I don't know how would here in Beijing you don't have that same gauntlet of expats or that melting pot uh, of, of business of because um, there there is a very much a difference between like foreigners, French, Italian, you know, Americans, what what have it, and like the local population. There's, yes, definitely. There is a divide. But it's been nice for for me to actually be able to see what those divides are, and 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 talk to people from different countries, and in a way that's that's very different than how it happens in New York. How does it happen in New York typically? Uh, I would say if I'm if I'm at a a punk show, right, and they they like. Duh. Specifically, um, like these two Norwegian guys were, were sitting next to me. I think I was like 22 years old, um, and it was like a punk festival. And they were in New York for like four months at that point. Yeah. Uh, and they were in like a death metal band. And <laughs> surprise, surprise. They, they, they were. It, it was so. It was. It was. It was bad. Um, but you know, they're not really. I don't even know if they're trying to. They were under, trying to understand New York culture or like New York music. They were just like really happy to just be there. Mm -hmm. They're like this, we're just part of this now. With in our history, in our own personal legacies, we played music live in New York City. We're fucking cool. And they were just doing their own thing. And yeah. I think here, uh, whether it's the you know local regulations or whatever it is, I think a lot of people. I don't look at it this way. I feel like I'm just living my life my best life here mm -hmm. in Beijing, but I do think a lot of people view he, living in Beijing as a temporary, um, you know... Uh, We're all itinerant you know, folks. Yeah. Uh, I think it's like Ottawa, I think, is the same thing. New York, I don't, are people as, like, do they move as much, or do they go there? People tend to... People tend not to move out of New York, and if they do, it's to L.A. <laughs> or, okay. like, if you're... I don't know. You're definitely going from New York City to another metropolitan area. Um, but a lot of small town people, once they get to New York, they went to New York for a purpose. And that purpose was to stay in New York and yeah. grow up in New York and raise their kids. And the only ways, way they're leaving is their kids get to school age and they're like, we want to go to the suburbs, you know, so our, our children can get a more suburban education, I guess. Cheaper education. Uh, it's cheaper probably as well. stupidly expensive in New um, York. So that's, that's usually when people are moving. I think most people tend to stay. I don't have statistics on that. Just, yeah. you know, my, my friends in New York, they're st all still in New York. Mm -hmm. Whereas if I went to like a small city that I um, you know, also spent a lot of time in, all those friends, they're gone. Right. Um, Beijing, it does tend to be like outside of the, like the pre-COVID Beijing was a lot of people I know, they're here for a year, two years. It's also why I didn't make too many friends with expats, but you actually find Chinese people in Beijing are, are very similar. They're here for two, three years, they do some work, they save some money, and then they're back to their hometowns. Um, so it's, it's different. You, you're fluent in Chinese, though. I, fluent in the sense that uh, I can communicate in most areas of Chinese, or there are a few that... You did do a podcast in Chinese before. Yeah, there, there are a few <laughs> subjects that I think that I couldn't speak on. Right. Um, but I'm not like able to transcribe a, a you know, a, a, a movie or a, a movie. Or, yeah, you wouldn't be able to do it just on, like sight and scene. Okay, yeah. so then because like, you have access to that sort of 
like things that like I don't because like I don't speak fluent Chinese at all. Uh, I mean, do you hear different stories from like the expat people who like Beijing or don't like Beijing, and from the Chinese people who come to Beijing? Do I hear different stories from expats who like or don't like Chinese, China, in front of Chinese people? Well, uh, I no, obviously. I'm, I, I don't know what that could. <laughs> I'm a little confused by the question. Do people talk bad about China in front of Chinese people? The Chinese from, people who come from like uh, Inchuan or Xi'an oh, 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 do, or Hangzhou do local people talk bad about or Hefei? Okay, and when they come here. Do they have a different sort of something to say, either in Chinese or English, compared to the expats who come here and who obviously aren't from China and they come mm. from all around the world? Uh, I I think that Beijing and uh, Shanghai are two cities that have their own personal pride, and there's a long tradition of foreigners, not just meaning people outside of China, but just people outside of Beijing or people outside of. Shanghai, like the Shanghai lady, is a is a real thing, like um, What's a Shanghai lady, uh, a woman who's very like like uh, well dressed, well cultured, well versed. Um, uh, I don't want to. I don't know if I want to say luxurious. I don't want to get it wrong. Um, <laughs> is there a Beijing but, lady? Like, uh, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to guess what the stereotype <laughs> would be. Um, but uh, you know, Shanghai, it's it's always been this high high life. Kind of um, culture right. that they've had that they find very different and uh, very unique to themselves, and that's been the the Beijing Shanghai clash is very similar to the New York LA clash, the, that that kind of rivalry. Really, um, is very similar, but not. I don't think people say it as much anymore. If you read literature, you'll find it in a lot of a lot of literature or the way Shanghai is written about or Beijing. Um, so who's you got to like deep, deep dive. I, I would say. Shang See, it's it's weird. It's weird because Shanghai and Beijing are not the same city. You're right. Right. No, it's, like, it's, uh, this is a trick question because I don't think there's any um, direct correlation or a a analogy that you can draw because they draw elements from both. Right. Right. Like Beijing's more DC than it just because of the capital. Yeah. Um, but in terms of how how people outside of Beijing are viewed here, I think I see a lot of um, resentment. I, I shouldn't say a lot. That's that's the I want to be careful about that. Um, but I do see resentment uh, sometimes when I talk to local people when they have an issue with like getting a, a like um, the license plate or you know oh, something with yeah, education. It's so like oh, now. people are coming in and they're trying to get the the Beijing hukou because the Beijing hukou means a lot, which is you know considering the population of people, it's understandable. Yeah, I think when you go in depth to the whys. You know, culture is different here. You find answers to everything, but just on the surface, it's like, it's kind of like, you know, South Park, like, they took our jobs, like, <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, I think I think that that does exist. I don't know how prevalent it is on the surface. I, I tend to ask people questions that I probably shouldn't. I, right. I'm always asking those kind of well, culturally a, sensitive no, like, a nosy know, american know, foreigner me, right can you tell me is i heard this rumor is this true um no it's not true but then why did i hear it does that happen uh, in the united states too you think where like chinese expats or chinese even students would come in and they'd mm -hmm. ask like all these questions because i remember sometimes meeting foreigners in canada people who were not canadian citizens and people who were studying just to be clear it's not them 
it's you know the people who were in Canada for a temporary time and they would say something about Canada and you're going where did you learn that I don't what do you mean we don't all play curling I mean some of us do but we call hockey and even then some of us don't <laughs> play hockey I mean it's an expensive sport I mean yeah we play it on the street but it's not like we're ready to fight anybody who uh, walks down the street just because they you know scored on the wrong net or something the craziest thing I heard about Canada was that there were a bunch of Trump supporters in Canada. And there still are. And there Trump still supporters. are. And, and that was, that broke my, like, positive. I think a lot of the <laughs> stereotypes of Canada are positive. <laughs> and we're like, you guys are so nice, aren't you? And you're like, no, we're not. Uh, we're yeah. not nice. It's too <laughs> nice sometimes because you're like, just like, wow, can someone make a decision, please? Like, mm. about that. Because with the states, though, it's like everyone going back to like the whole voicing your opinion and everything, and like, let me tell you how it is. Like, because you know, th that is, that's the American. I know the answers. I've done my research. Whereas Canada's like, oh, you know, <laughs> it could be, it might be, it don't know. I mean, possibly, don't know. We're we're more hedge, hedge sitting on the fence. I would say. So you guys make good podcast hosts. Oh, right. fantastic <laughs> podcast! So there you go. Right. <laughs> I think one of the biggest uh, biggest differences would uh, be like Beijing and Washington. I've never actually been to Washington D.C. I'd love to go there just to see how dry it is. Mm -hmm. uh, Canada, like Ottawa, I mean, it was described to me as being a very itinerant city. It's like it was. It's lively until five p.m., maybe five fifteen p.m., and then it's dead. Mm -hmm. Everyone flees the city center. Out to the suburbs, they're gone. Like it's all off the uh, the government workers, they're gone. Beijing, you don't have that same flight. You don't have that same. It's not so political in that sense. There is more of a life in Beijing than there is, I would say, in Washington. Though again, I've never been to Washington. I, I've been to Washington a few times. I actually I, I quite like it. Um, but I would go to Washington to see comedy shows, to see baseball games. It, I was never there for the like the culture. The, the culture. <laughs> Yeah, um, which doesn't the culture that does exist there. I want to stay far away from. Um, I would say what I, what I love about Beijing is I actually think it's apolitical, which is funny considering it's the capital. Um, it's I, very political, I just, given what it is. Yeah, I just get to live my life, and and this is what I love most about being here and not being in America is like if you want to talk about freedom, I have so much more freedom here. I don't know. If, so probably just just saying these key words, um, but I have so much more freedom here to just live day to day without worrying about everything going on around me. So I just get to do me yeah. here, right? And if I was in New York for the last, at least since 2016, every single day would be, you know, what do I need to defend today? What do I need to fight for today? And you what know, fire are you putting out today? Yeah. What you said this on Twitter, and now you have to defend yourself. Like, it would. I had a drink or two when I sent that out. I don't need to be crucified for that one, do I? But, I mean, how much is that of that is understanding and how much of that is, like, maybe Beijing doesn't care. Like, people see what you're doing. They're just like, eh, foreigner, eh, whatever. English speaker, American, whatever. They're not, they're not from here. They're not going to be here in 10 years' time. I mean, whereas New York, it's all competition. I mean, you, I mean, you show up as a... A uh, comedian, a punk rocker, your competition in terms of the business. I mean, th does that play into it as well? We're, we're given that sort of, not a carte blanche, but sort of a, the freedom of, like, we're just not part of the competition here. 
Um, I, I think that's a that's an, that's an interesting question, um, because in a lot of ways, I think we can grow as people because we are not part of that competition. Like I have the freedom in comedy to just seek out my own my own path here. Like there's nobody to tell me you're you haven't done comedy long enough to right. reach this step. I'm doing a headliner next month. Beijing's had no comedians really for the last two years. When I started comedy, um, there was a stable of like I think eleven total comics. <laughs> and now it's down to eight. Right. Like like the people who are consistently at shows and quality enough to be on a show where people actually, you know, want to reserve tickets to go to. And uh just to to have that that opportunity to say, well, people think I'm funny and they like to see me, so I'm just going to keep doing this. That would never happen in New York. Like I've been doing this a year, and I've I've performed in front of 200 people at a party in Chengdu. There's no way that happens. That happened seven months into doing comedy for me. Right. Uh, and in America, there's just no way that happens. English or Chinese? English. Right. Although okay. I do do Chinese comedy as well. Yeah. Um. And again, Chinese comedy, where there's, there actually is competition, <laughs> I, have a, I have an in, which is that, oh, there's this foreigner doing comedy in Chinese. That's so cool. Give them a platform. Yeah, there you go. Like, so I, I guess there's a little bit of uh, privilege, I guess, there. But I, I appreciate it, and I understand that it exists. Um, so I, I think to answer your question, I'm, I'm terrible at answering questions directly. Um, I would say you're probably, you're probably right on the money for that. Just we have people don't really care because we're we're a flash in the pan, uh, so to speak. Which I guess you are in New York too, but it's a it's a different it's a different flash. It's yeah, like, but if you become that flash in New York, I mean you're the big thing. Whereas I mean in Beijing, how many foreigners have become, you know, the the lightning bolt that struck the world sort of thing. It's, yeah. It doesn't happen too often. Um, then with like with your comedy the one thing that sort of uh, springs to mind when you say that you have the freedom is like uh, there are some top topics that we can't discuss. And I think living in China also gives us that sort of perspective of why people, our hosts, don't want us talking about some of these things because they have a certain vision. Whereas in the United States and in Canada, it almost seems like if you don't talk about that, then you're not talking about something worth talking about. If you didn't shit on Donald Trump, then you were just like not with what was going on. You were outside of the social norms. So basically, just to fit in, you had to make fun of the political atmosphere, and which is, I think, still goes on in a lot of states. Part of the freedom of the United States is to be to make fun of your your president. I think he's the whipping boy of the uh, the people's comedy. Yeah, I, it's also the easiest comedy you can get. Yeah, right. Like it's the lowest hanging fruit. It's why South Park did a whole season <laughs> about about Donald Trump, and they're like, "Oh my God, we are we are stuck here. It's way too easy." Um, SNL was, you know, every every week SNL had their thing about it. Like, well, this is we hate this because we are hamstrung because everything he would just do in and of itself, you could just copy it word for word, and it's a perfect comedy skit. So it's really low-hanging fruit. Yeah. And just for me personally as a comedian, even if I was in America, there's just a lot of topics I wouldn't be talking about because it's just not my style or, or who I am. You know, I'm somebody who 
uh, where I think my audience connects with me is I'm very vulnerable on stage. Uh, some a lot of people think my comedy is um, sad <laughs> in, in, in a lot of ways, and that's really a tough thing to maneuver through. It's like people laugh for like an hour, and then there's two or three people who didn't laugh, and they come up to me and they're like, "Is that all true? Because that's really sad. I feel really bad for you." And I'm like, "Well, it is true, but, but don't feel bad for me because if you, I felt bad for myself, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing this." Yeah. And, and so my comedy is all about just my personal experiences in my life. I'm not the person trying to go out and, you know, tear down the, the world. I'm not the joker. I'm not trying to, you know, just watch right. everything burn yeah. to the ground. I have no interest in doing that. And uh, if anything, as an American living here, I've realized that doing those things don't mean anything. They don't do anything. It doesn't do anything to go out and, and be like, you know, Donald Trump, for four years we had everybody in America, five if you count as a year running for primaries, <laughs> yeah. we had... 60-something million people outside, obviously not at one time, but protesting or tweeting or Instagramming or writing in their Facebook or calling their local representative and saying, this is awful. We had every, every comedy show in America, you know, just ostracizing this guy. And he finished his four-year term. And he, he did the things that he, not everything, but no president does everything. He does, did a bunch of the shit that, that we didn't want him to do, that I didn't want him to do, but he did it anyway. So what does this, this thing that you're telling me that I should do as a comedian, well, well what for? I'm just going to be true to myself. I'm not going to try to fold into whatever this, this pressure is. If I ever go back to America to do comedy, will I have some jokes that maybe uh, I haven't done here, but I've thought about that I might do over there? Maybe some, but none of them are really from a negative perspective. It's all just in the sake of comedy rather than actually being uh, I think really truly critical of somebody because I don't, I don't think comedy should be that anyway do you think you could go back after living in Beijing go to no 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 I, I never if I <laughs> I, sh I should have prefaced it with that after being here this long if for whatever reason I can't be here longer America's not the not the answer where would you go if you could? current standings I mean where, where would you go I've been talking about the Middle East like that's what people who know me are like still talking about that um you could work on an oil rig i thought about it and make a lot of money I thought about it but those are different people yeah, they i are. don't think they do podcasts very <laughs> often they might but um the goal the goal would be hong kong i love hong kong um i i i loved hong kong pre whatever and and i i still love it um have you been back since uh like in the last couple of years or not i was back during national day of okay. 2019, and it was um, an experience. I spent a lot of it in my hotel room. Uh, I was just getting a new visa, yeah. and it just happened to coincide with all the stuff that was going on down there. Um, from all accounts, Hong Kong still, you know, it's it's recovered, mm -hmm. and uh, it's still a great place. My worry is just like, what am I going to do? As a writer, I came to China when I was 25 years old, and I had done some ghostwriting in America, but nothing really too serious. Um, and I've been here for seven years, going on eight years. If I were to go back as a writer, like just not even culturally, just like logistically, if I were to go back to America, what company is gonna hire me into a position that's gonna fit the experience that I have? Yeah. What company is gonna say, you, you fit in 
perfectly here. You're going to take this team and you're going to lead this. You know, if I go back, I, I'm almost positive, and I'm, I'm educated, I have my degrees, they, um, I have experience, but I'm going to go into a company at base level yeah. making $15 an hour, and, and how, is the, how am I going to do that? Well, I'm going to be working with a bunch of like college grads and you know, <laughs> They're like the old stuff. guys in the office. And he doesn't like, know well, how to use the printer. Who am I? What's the printer? <laughs> Just email it. Actually, I'm going to be like, hey, guys, where's the QR code? And they're going to be like, what's a QR code? <laughs> like, I don't, I'm going to feel like I'm going to the past, actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is what's going to happen. Um, it, so it feels like it, that, this is the sad thing. It's like if I, if I forever, I've already planted my life here. My entire life is here, and I love it here. Wow. If I, I've. I've got my dog. She's my daughter, basically. She's my family. I have my friends. I have my circles. I have all my social circles. I have my... Every resource that I need is here in Beijing. And I, I would love to keep it that way. And if... For and that's after reason, eight years. Done, wow. Yeah. That's impressive. If I... I mean, I, w I wasn't leaving much. I wasn't, right. I, I wasn't leaving much. Um, what brought you to Beijing? I did a Chinese opera in 2014. What? And... <laughs> There's a lot. I feel like we missed out on a lot of the fun stuff so far. Maybe you could just like delete the first half, and we could just start talking about the fun stuff. <laughs> Not the Peking. Are you gonna do a Peking opera? No, no, no. Oh, that, that would that would change just about everything or nothing. I'm not sure. So in uh, 2014, I got paid essentially about eighty thousand renminbi. Um, I was in New York. That's a substantial. It's a substantial amount. Um, to, uh, I come from a blue collar family and I've been the artistic person since I was a, a little kid. No, so um, your parents are very proud of this. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to be a writer, right? And everybody yeah. said, yeah, what are you going to do as a writer? You're never going to make money. There's no career, which I understand. It, it, people are, are absolutely correct when they say, don't major in English. Don't major in English. Terrible idea. You end up in China teaching English, all of you. Classics um, might be the same. <laughs> if your degree says like the the, the literary arts, just Anything throw arts it away. Yeah, yeah, just, just throw economics. it away. Um, but in 2014, I was uh, working as a social worker for a um, a uh, the victims of domestic abuse and. Uh, we were giving uh, housing to, to people who were trying to get away from their abusers. And while I was there, I was uh, one of my coworkers' sisters knew a girl who was from China and was looking for somebody to help with a script. And that's what my, my major was. I approached her, what kind of thing? She said, we want to adapt a Chinese movie into an opera. Right. And she said, do you have experience with that? And... I started to answer, and she's like, I think we can pay like 50,000 renminbi. And I was going to answer, no, I don't. And then I switched to, uh, yes, I do have that experience. I would love to participate in this project. Isn't that the New York response? Yes. And then, do you have experience? Yes. Yes. So um, it ended up being like 80,000. And uh, I started watching this, this movie um, called The Spring River Flows East. And it's from like the fifties, okay. And it was just an incredible. Wow. The movie is not an opera. The movie is just a, a movie. Regular um, movie, yeah. And this the story is incredible. But then we started working on the opera, and I'm also a musician. I play bass. I was in a punk band for for 
six years and, and played like live music in a bunch of places. I love you know, music. And we started working, uh, the very start of the opera was we need a chorus that's just going to repeat uh, throughout the entire production. And we wrote that first, and I just found it like really, it's really interesting because I was trying to get my mind into the, like, I've never adapted something before. I've written original stories, but then now trying to get into the minds of these other characters. And to do so, I had to understand that culture. So I had to understand like 50s, like, like well, the movie's from the 50s, but it's like revolutionary era, you know, China. And I, so I have to go into that mindset. And I started wow. watching a lot and reading a lot. And it was so fascinating to me. And then I go take all this information that I've learned and I go back to these characters. And now I've got this like really deep understanding. I, I want to be careful about how I say understanding, but I felt like I had a really deep understanding of who these characters were and their motivations. And it was very Chinese. I don't know how to say that. Like, I don't know how to explain what that means. But for me, it just felt very Chinese, and I thought, well, this was just an incredible experience. I, I want to keep doing more of this. And it, through the whole process, I probably watched like 50 Chinese films, and I was just listening to Chinese music all the time. I'm actually mixed, um, and uh, I spent a lot of time in Chinatown growing up. So for me, coming to China meant I want to try to take what I have as a writer, as an American, as somebody from New York, from a city, um, and fuse that with Chinese film and Chinese television and theater and try to put these two ideas together and create anything that I can. That was how I ended up here. Do you remember any of the other movies you were watching to, to prepare for them? Uh, I watched a lot of, John, well, not to prepare for, for uh, I guess it helped me prepare, but it wasn't like I was watching things that were all from that era. Right. Um, it was a lot of John Emo. Um, it was uh, like, so Rates of Red Lantern, um, To Live. Uh, it, when I started going into like the, I, what is it, the Wuxi films, like the martial art one right. that he has, the, like Hero with uh, Jet Li and um, House of Flying Daggers. Yeah, 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 yeah was... those are later. So the late 90s, early 2000. I think Hero was 2002 and House of Flying Daggers, I think, was 2004. So I, I, I was watching those. I was watching a lot of romantic films. Um, uh, if you're the one, Peichung Wu Rao, um, uh, A Beautiful Life with with Xu Xi. I, I started to find specific like actors and actresses that I really liked, and then the directors and going uh, with those. One with some older ones, like uh, one called Green Snake, uh, which was really cool, um, and To uh, Qingshu, and oh god, I, I watched a lot. Um, I didn't watch as many from the 50s and 60s, because they're, they're hard watch. Uh, in what way? <laughs> they're long. They're, they, they might be an hour and a half, but it feels like seven hours of, really? of, of film, because you know, scenes are taking place, and you know, people are just moving slow. They're, they're talking slow. You're not getting a lot of development. It's not as action-packed. So. Not like today's editing yeah, style, where no. it's like everything cuts every three seconds. Three right. seconds is a long cut these days. I, yeah. So, but did you have any, so after all of this research, you did this translation, adaptation of uh, this uh, movie. Did you have any culture shock coming to Beijing after uh, doing all this research and being from New York? Well, the culture shock was that um, China was developed. 
That was the culture shock. I, I was excited to come to like farmland China. I'm like, I can't oh, wait to just have like people on the side of the street playing with little toys and knickknacks oh, yeah, and, and eating sad. rice and just like <laughs> sitting down, like like squatting down, you know, doing the the China squat where like people are like, you can do that. Like, yeah, I I know how to squat. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I can do that. So I, w- I was expecting that. And then you had cars. Lots of cars. And nice cars. Nice. In a, in a regular American street, you get cars from the 80s and 90s that are still on. I don't know about now, but in 2015, like, you, my car was a 2006 Pontiac PT Cruiser. Yeah. Pontiac? No, that's not right. It's not a Pontiac. But a PT Cruiser. Um, and, but my car before that was from 2001, and that was in, like, 2012. And here, like, no car is older than, like, five years old. Oh, like, it's, I mean, there, there are say Jaguar, you're not a person, but, right? Yeah, every, like, the cars here, they're nice, they're new. Every car has the, you know, back out cameras and stuff. Everybody's got Tesla now. And when I came here, I thought it was going to be, you know, bicycle country. Like, I have, <laughs> I have friends in New York from China who, like, Moved to America in 2005, and they're like, "Yeah, I used to ride my bike everywhere." And yeah, when I came here in 2015, there's just, uh, I mean, if now there are share bikes, and they're making that push again. Like, yeah. start riding bikes because I mean, too many cars on the road just means we're all waiting around for you right. to move out of the way. Whereas the bikes, I mean, but even the share bikes, I mean, they have issues with that. With them, they're fantastic. I think it's one of the best inventions that China's had. Yeah, that you can get one app. That works around the country using one type of bike. Yeah. Fantastic. What an idea. What a great idea to actually, you know, make a cohesive network of something. And it's gotten better over over time, too. Yeah. Like, if you compare when the share bikes first came out to where they are now, now you have the share scooters, which is cool. Uh, they're very slow. <laughs> but they're still cool. You don't have to, you know, pedal, I guess. Um, I That stuff, it's, it's all cool. It's just, it was not, I thought when I came here, I was going to find more appreciation for the, I guess, old China. Right. So as that, that I thought was just China. I didn't realize there was old China and then like post-developed China. And you, like I would, the culture shock I would feel is like, I would get here and I'm like, I can't wait to speak Chinese with you. And all the Chinese people were like, no, speak English with me. Wow, yeah. Especially speak, in Beijing. Yeah, speak English with I want. I want you to speak English. I'm like, no, but I want to learn Chinese. And they're like, why? <laughs> all right uh well i'm not gonna be fr- I, that was another thing when i first came here i like made it a point to not make friends with people who could speak english right i just wanted to make friends with people who spoke chinese did you know chinese and before you came or? i knew words I, right. I, I never had a teacher but it, like i was going to the hair salon and getting my hair washed right four days a week just so i could get like the reps in of saying like i'm here i want to wash my hair how much does it cost? And I would never go to the same place because I wanted to have these new interactions wow. with different people. <laughs> if it's the same person, I'm going to know what I want. Yeah. So I would always go to a different place, when, whether like with food. I always made sure, okay, I would learn what I wanted to order beforehand. I would find a place that had it. I would go there and I would order that, that meal. And I would. How long you know, did it take you to find that place? Because I tried that and I was just like, I always failed. I'm like, I, I give up. I'm just hungry. I, I wasn't doing like difficult foods, right? Okay. Like I wasn't like, it wasn't like I want mm, salmon with dill pickles right. and garlic. <laughs> like, it was like, I want the gong bao jiting. I yeah. want, uh, you know, the, the just like um, malatang or, or something like that. Um, 
And so I was doing stuff like that. I would go get, like, my, my fingernails, like, cleaned and stuff. Like, really cheap, um, easy things to do just to practice that, like, the, the conversations that I hate now, but I needed then. Yeah. The, where are you from? Are you used to eating Chinese food? Um, do you miss your home? Do you vote for Donald Trump? Like, those were all the questions, like, <laughs> in year one. What did you say about the Trump question? You, of course I did. It, that's, the, that's the joke. <laughs> and everybody looks at you, and you're like, it's a joke. It's a joke. Uh, it, it's actually, I, I tried it a few times at a comedy show, would it be like, because I do talk about, you know, taxi drivers and stuff, and they're like, did you vote for Donald Trump? And my initial response was like, well, yeah, I would. And the audience, every single time, is like, we're, I, I, my response with the silence would be, we're at a comedy show. It's supposed to be funny. And I would just not get the audience back. Yeah. So I, I feel bad because I folded where now I say like, did you vote for Donald Trump? I say, do you think I'm a shabby or something like that? And then the audience, ah, that's the funniest thing. Like, that's not comedy, though. It's, you got to play just, the crowd, yeah. right? <laughs> that's what they want to hear. Um, <laughs> but it was, those conversations were so important for me when I first got here. Yeah. But the, the, the culture shock, uh, to answer that, so uh, the language thing was part of it. And also, like, I would want to go to the temples with people, talk to my Chinese friends. Let's go to the temple. No. Well, why not? It's boring. Yeah. It yeah, is boring. It's it's a temple that's thousands of years old. And they're like, no, it's not. It was built in like 1984. It's, they remade it in 2009. Yeah. Look, look at the paint. It's still new. Yeah. That, 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 that was, much is true, though. I mean, because they did rebuild a lot of things, and they have a very yeah, different did. interpretation of like what it means to restore something. Here, they tear it down, rebuild it. Like, let's make it stand for another 30 years or 40 years. Well, well culturally, uh, some Chinese people actually get mad at me about this, and, and I don't really have sympathy for them because this is factually true. In China, the reason why we don't have those things that last is because when there would be new emperors, the goal of the emperor was to create something new and destroy what came before yeah. it. Destroy the legacy before <laughs> it is my legacy now. So you don't, a lot of those things that exist, and credit to China for saying those things were actually important. We gotta, we should memorialize those places by now recreating something, but it does feel a little bit less authentic to, to be like, well, I went to this yellow crane tower, which looks incredible. And inside it feels really special and unique. But then just as somebody who's been to places that are hundreds of years old, and then being told, oh, that was actually, they repainted that like 15 years ago, so that's why it looks old. It's not because it was painted 150 years ago. It's mm -hmm. like... Then your Instagram doesn't work, and you're like, damn it, why can't I post a selfie? How disappointing. So, well, yeah, actually, I, when I go places, like, that's why the, the Old Summer Palace is one of my favorite places to go, because... The, the Old Summer Palace? Or, or is there a new one or an old yeah, one? Yeah, there's Summer Palace, and then there's Old Summer Palace. I didn't know. Okay, I oh, only yeah. know of the Summer Palace. Well, they have the, uh, you know, like, the ruins that still exist. Like, okay. Those aren't, those aren't, like replications or or there's never been renovated or whatever it's just from when you know the the british and the i, I don't want to speak wrong on the other countries that went in and and like pilfered them like like uh pillaged them pilfered pilfered Pil pillaged yeah, pillaged oh, yeah, they took a bunch of stuff uh yeah, yeah. They, they took a bunch of stuff they burned everything to the ground that's still there right it's like this is cool 
and uh, I saw people taking selfies there, and I got really mad as a Chinese person who's been here along. I'm like, that's disrespectful to the, to the people who used to work here about hundreds of years ago. I like um, visiting the old Great Wall ruins. Those are, those are pretty cool. Mm, like, for some reason, the wild whatever, ones. Yeah, it's like whatever. For whatever reason, I remember this. Like, I, I went to one of my first trips overseas was to go to Greece, and I remember walking up the Acropolis. It was the same sort of feeling. I'd love to do that. When you you walk across like those stones, you're looking at them. Um, maybe the modern Greeks can correct me on this, but those stones, you're going. Those have been here for a while. Like a lot of people have walked over those things. Like famous people that wrote books and like yeah. did a lot of talking. It's the same thing with the Great Wall. It's like those walls have seen that. Those stones, those those mountain paths have seen a lot of other people come through here. Wood tends to degrade over time, so it's more like the idea that stays behind in that area. But the stones yeah. that have weathered the, the, the test of time, uh, I find that those are sort of always kind of neat to go look at. It's surreal. If you go to, like, the, the tour, this is what I always tell the expats who do come here. I'm like, stay away from the touristy spots because you can find what you're looking for. But you got to look real hard when you need to find somebody who's looked real hard before. Because if you go to the Great Wall and you go to, like, some of the more off-the-beaten paths, like the... Uh, the place with signs. <laughs> if you go to those places, it feels majestic. It feels monumental, and it feels like it's something that, like you're standing on something that nobody else in the world basically gets to stand on. Yeah. Um, and how many people come to China too? I mean, like it's although it's a tourist destination, it's still kind of closed off in many ways. So yeah. to go there and to to be there to see it in and person. The, yeah, I think I think that's that's special. I just I just wish there was more of that. Yeah. It's like if you go, like I love the idea of so many of the places. I love Forbidden Palace. I love. I love going by. I love riding my bike by there. I think it's the yeah. funniest thing in the world. I, I I take a picture of every town. I'm like that's Forbidden Palace. Only uh, one of the reasons is because I, I I don't know if you ever played the game Civilization. Yeah. Okay, so I mean, one of the. <laughs> the unique cultural artifacts that you could build in that game was yeah. the Forbidden City. And I was like, at some point I want to go there. And so now I live in the city that I can take You're a like, bike. I built you by myself. <laughs> I didn't need any help. <laughs> I mean, took it, me seven days. <laughs> yes. I took it from the Romans who built it first. So how did that one work? But I mean, now that you can like cycle by there and just like there's the Forbidden City there and there's Tiananmen Square, which is also very famous for various things. You kind of go, yeah, you know, I'm in Beijing, whatever. Life is as life does. Selfie, click yeah. Instagram. And, and that, that, that's something I don't really, uh, I, as the old soul that I am, I'm, I'm kind of uh, resent a lot of that. It's like, I wish, just wish people appreciated, and it's not just foreigners, it's just generally people. Like, have we really gotten to the point where I've spent 20 years of my education being told these things are important, and now everything is literally just a, a photo. It's just a photo op. It's, if you go to the Great Wall and you go to, like, the regular parts of the Great Wall, yeah. they're like, look at this camel. <laughs> this camel, it's chained. And we've got this whole thing around its mouth so it can't move its mouth. But for 20 kwai, you can sit on the camel. And I thought... Really? <laughs> This is awful. I've never seen a camel before. Kind of want to do it. And I do. And I've got photos at my house of me sitting on a camel. On a camel. Yeah, well. That it, it was a lot of moral problems there. And also thinking, like, well, I'm never going to get to do this again. Which, and you helped the good. local farmers who had to steal the camels from somewhere. <laughs> or had to raise the camels from somewhere. I mean, let's be fair. I mean, they, they do have to feed those animals. At least they, I think they feed them most times. 
It could just be new camels every time you go. Yeah, it could be. Oh, it's, it's Donnie, right? Yes, I'm Hello. Jake. Are you the, the, the host for tonight? Uh, no, no. Uh, no, I'm also not the host. Our host is on his way. Okay, okay. Yes. Right. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, so this is the podcast? Yes. Oh, Say hey. Hello, Beijing. This I'm is Jake. Jacob. <laughs> Jake. You want to sit in? No, it's okay. It's all right. All right. Uh, so then with your uh, your comedy, I mean, like, because uh, you are part of this uh, this ring of comedic fire, I guess you could say, uh, where do you derive a lot of your um, your material from? It's, it's all, like, uh, from um, growing up with a single mother, uh, from uh, my dating experiences. That's, that's probably the big one. Um, from mixed culture, like, just, just how culture intertwines with itself. Um, I, I would say those are the, the three main things. Um, and I've, I, I don't want to say comedy is cathartic, because I, I don't think it really is. I find comedy really stressful. But I, <laughs> uh, I put a lot of like I put a lot of my, my own personal trauma into comedy, because um, I'm not really afraid of you know having the egg land on my face. Right. Um, my headliner, which is coming out next month, is called Donnie Fan from Hero to Zero, which is a play on uh, my favorite Disney movie Hercules. The yep. song in that is from Zero to Hero. Um, my Chinese name is Inzhong, which means hero. Um, Zero actually means a bottom to Chinese people in, in like, sexual terms. Oh, is um, that what that clip was on your, your website? Uh, that's one of them. That's one of them <laughs> where, where I, I make a joke um, about uh, uh, the first time I was actually invited to do comedy was at the LGBT party, and I'm not gay, but they didn't know that, and... I thought, oh, you know, I'm not the funniest person we have here. And it's like, don't worry. It's just we have a lot of tops, and we really need a bottom. Um, so can you please come? And I'm like, what? No. So the, the From Hero to Zero, um, you know, moniker, this, this uh, title for my show, um, really just reflects the, the uh, self-deprecation that I put out in my shows. But um, I think what I, what, where the audience really connects is with that of vulnerability because most comedians especially in china don't do that they do a lot of observational stuff um or they yeah, tell well, it you seems, know, they do seems to make sense stuff. yeah yeah uh very few people are willing to go out and be like i'm an idiot uh this is why i'm an idiot and uh, i hope you enjoy it and um since the beginning since my very first open mic the audience has really given me positive feedback to to that style of comedy that i have that i bring and I might not get the biggest laughs uh, on the, of the night, and I might not be the funniest person of the night, but I consistently feel so lucky to have people come up to me and say, you were my favorite. Even if I wasn't laughing, I had so much fun just watching you perform. Right. And that's been what's kind of kept me, because I never expected to do comedy and hearing that sort of thing. It's like, wow, that's... Uh, I mean, comedians tend to be narcissists. I, I tend to be a narcissist. <laughs> but, you know, hearing that kind of thing, it, it really does, uh, you know, open this, this spot where it's like, well, I'm not just doing this for myself. I have people actually really enjoying it on their own merits, and, and I should be doing this, I think. So that's so where a lot of it comes from. You're working on a, a full show? or Yes. So how long would this, would this run? Um, I have three headliners uh, in Beijing, and then I hope after I have that, um, I will do a, you know, barring COVID, I'd like to take it to multiple cities, uh, 
probably about 15 cities in China mm -hmm. uh, where I would like to take it before Gosh. next winter. Oh, man, are you How long is the, uh, the set list? Huh? Uh, yeah. oh, it okay. will right. land. It depends on the yeah, audience, uh, but probably somewhere between an hour, an hour, okay. and 15 yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. So this is going to be... If they want to be on, that's fine. Okay. Uh, so then with that, I mean, up until recently, have you been doing mostly clips or what have you been doing? Because your, your stand-up is, like, you've only posted, like, six videos of your, uh, uh, your work I'm so, so, so anti-the internet. Um, so I have a website now, uh, DonnieFan.com. <laughs> and uh, I'm supposed to be promoting myself, you know, constantly releasing clips. But the problem with that uh, is that you, uh, if people no, go on and like, see that before a show, they've already seen all the material. Yeah. So comedians tend to have, you know, do a year, a year and a half of work. They get their comedian, their, their comic album out, and then they start doing new stuff at the open mics and, and doing new stuff on their tours and shows because they assume you've already heard everything they've done before. So once I do these, uh, this headlining act, um, I'll release those clips to the to the internet like yeah. every week um, maybe another a, a three to five minute clip um, but I'm gonna try to avoid promoting it here in China at first because I want to go to the cities and be able to take this headliner on the road um, and then next year by this time next year all of that material will be available online and I'll be working on my next um, I guess album because I, I since my very first day in comedy, and I think what's made me yeah. a bit different than a lot of my peers, yeah, is uh, if I was coming to open mics to just do jokes that I found funny in the day, I don't think I would have anything really funny or anything important to say. Um, but since my first day doing comedy, it was like, I, what's, what's the story I'm gonna tell? How I'm gonna make this, the jokes um, like uh, move into, transition into the next joke? And, the next one and how am I going to relate it back to the first joke or the second joke and so my very first goal was do five minutes of that yeah and then it was okay can I can I get a 10 minute you know can I put two or three stories together that makes sense um for 10 minutes and then it was 15 minutes and it's like all right I've got my first 15 minutes can I get my next 15 minutes what's going to chronologically make sense and as a writer that helps Somebody who loves comedy, it, it helps to know, you know, what my goal is, and so it's gotten to the point where I, in the last year, it's been like um, maybe each season it's like 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, 15 minutes, but they were they were always supposed to be part of this larger puzzle. Right. So it's finally where I've I spent the last few months getting that last 15 minutes of material down, and that's my closer, and it's like all right, I've got it. Let me put it all together. I did 40 minutes as like a kind of practice warm-up um, at a Christmas show. And I was actually going to wait until maybe like May or June to do my headliner this year. But when I did the 40, 45 minutes and the audience had a really great response to it, I said, I, uh, I think I'm ready. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. So Is it mostly in English or Chinese? It's all in English. Um, I mean, there's definitely Chinese words that I use that are yeah. that are part of the, the equation, part of the fun. Um, but it's... Primarily in English. Right. Yeah. Which do you find, uh, con does one language convey humor better than the other? Um, it, if I was better at Chinese, I think I'd be able to better answer that question. And I think, uh, I think it just depends on the culture of the audience. Like, for me, English, you know, it's my, 
my native language. And because I'm telling stories, I'm able to better express myself. Um, but for a lot of Chinese comedians I know, uh, Chinese comedy very much so works on puns. Like this word actually sounds a lot like this word. Um, so that's funny because we have this misunderstanding. Yeah. I have a Chinese comedy joke about that, which I don't know if you saw when I went to uh, do physical therapy. <laughs> I have a joke about doing physical therapy and it was absolutely true when I went. Um, I said uh, in Chinese, I need to do physical therapy, and they responded with, "Do you want a massage or do you want to have sex?" At least that's how I heard it. That's the translation. That's the translation of it. And uh, the, the the word, the term here for sex, and the term for um, moxibustion, which is like traditional Chinese medicine, it's like uh, um, it's like where they put a heating lamp on your body to kind of kill the demons <laughs> yeah, yeah. that exist in your skin to kill the poison. Actually, the du, um, it's the same, it's a different character, but it's the same word and it's the same pronunciation. A lot of times it's like, the pronunciation's a little different, you didn't understand. But actually, in this case, sex and moxibustion are the same character. And, uh, Fantastic. So, of course, you chose. For me, as somebody who's like, has no reason to have ever learned moxibustion, <laughs> but a lot of reasons to learn sex. <laughs> When I tell this joke in Chinese, <laughs> the audience, you know, they find, they get a kick out of it. But the audience laughed. They they responded pretty good to that. They do. They do. I actually got applause. Yeah. Afterwards, um, it's more so, and and the reason it's applause because in Chinese comedy, it, like as a foreigner, it definitely has to be like me losing face. It can't be like uh, I'm so confident because I know this sexual joke or innuendo. It's got to be like. Oh my god, I'm an idiot. How did I make this mistake? And so there's a difference for me doing comedy in the languages because doing, doing both. I, in Chinese, I have to make a lot of it a lot more about the language issues than I, I can just a random story from my life. From my life. Have you um, done a lot of shows in... Have you done a lot of shows in, uh, in Chinese before or is it primarily English? Primarily English, um, but I've definitely done... I've done more than... 20 shows in Chinese. Um, I've done a couple outside of Beijing. Um, those are fun because I get to do some like specifically Beijing local jokes that people outside of the city will appreciate yeah. and understand. It's like being from New York and going to Texas and being like, those New Yorkers yeah. are idiots. And you're like, yeah, <laughs> fuck New York. You know, so I think uh, when I get to go to like Dongbei and Shenyang and I get to talk about a little bit about Beijing, they get really happy. Um, Those lights would have been perfect to start with. Oh, <laughs> no problem. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but recent from comedy, you've been you moved into uh, tragedy, uh, which actually surprised me to hear. Uh, we met at your opening night of the Medea performance. Yes. Um, which I was shocked because, first of all, it was Medea, which is a European play. I read that in the ancient Greek in my university days. Uh, and to see a modern interpretation of it in Chinese, and then when we spoke after, you're saying, well, I'm actually a comedian. <laughs> so so uh, the, the fun of that was when I was posting on my WeChat moments that I've got a tragedy that, that, that I'm really excited for, people are responding with, I thought you do comedy. When did you start tragedy? I'm like, I was doing tragedy for 20, I've only been doing comedy for a year. Everything before that was tragedy. Um, 
because I, you know, literature was, was always my favorite thing. Like Goethe, Sorrows of Young Werther is my favorite. Um, and you go to Faust, or you go to like a lot of the like, 18th, 19th century um, is what I, I tend to spend a lot of my time studying and reading, or right. I did before. Um, but so comedy was actually a surprising thing for me to do as well because I never thought I would have the chops for it. And the reason I thought that was because I thought I would have to try to be funny rather than be tragic. And, and I just found the way to put the you know tragic the, the comedic spin on the on the tragedy. Stuff. Which do you find easy easier? Uh, well, I God, I there's I don't th I don't think there is an easier one. I think comedy is easier because it's immediate satisfaction. I know right away if if what I said was good or, or, or not good because the audience will tell me yeah. every joke. And I can, I can pick myself up from it immediately after. What, what was frustrating with Medea was that the criticism of it, I understood, I, I welcomed, and I had a lot of the same criticisms myself. Um, and now it's, okay, I have maybe eight months before I can convince that audience that I can do better. Yeah. <laughs> Like, at maybe at, at, at best eight months, that's our host, <laughs> um, that's if I get the chance to do this play again in the vision that I originally saw. Yeah. And so in that sense, I would say comedy is easier um, to, to just produce because I can fix my errors almost immediately. I can, it's like being an athlete. You, uh, you know, you're, you're a pitcher in a baseball game and you have a bad night, you give up the win. Well, you go back the next day and you can win and everybody's cheering for you again. Um, this feels more like I just lost the World Series. Like, like, com like the tragedy, like I just lost the World Series and I've got a whole season to prepare for the next one to try to get you back. And is it, is I that might because of the preparation again. that's involved? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's because like, and it's it's the only one I've got. Right? Yeah. It's the only theater play that I've ever done. So I can't point to somebody and say, "Well, go look at my other theater play that went, you know, exactly that I wanted it to." Yeah. Or or the other movie that I worked on that went exactly that I wanted it to. I don't have that yet. So um, I would say in that sense, in that regard, like the, the theaters, it just felt more. I was more dis disappointed in, in the final part. I was, I'm tremendously uh, 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 thankful for having the opportunity to do the play, and um, I, I love our actress and our actor and, and the whole team. I really do. Uh, but my disappointment comes just from, you know, there's some, some small, nuanced details that, that didn't get through to the final product that I really wish we did which would have addressed a lot of criticisms that people had of the play as well. Um, and so, you know, as an artist, uh, I would, of course, I'd rather you see my final product. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I'm rambling as well. Is it getting a pretty... I can still hear you. Okay. Cheers. Um, so I feel like that's, I'd, I'd really just like the opportunity to, to get to do that again. You know? Why Medea? Uh... <laughs> So our producer actually came to me and said she's got this, this idea that she wants. And she wanted to hear about some other stuff that I had written and, and been working on. Um, I had a play, uh, not a play, sorry, a uh, film script. What time is it? Everybody's early. Oh, my God. Hello. Why is everybody so early? <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, people usually don't get here till nine. 
Nine. It's supposed to start at eight thirty. We are dead until nine every week. Are you? They must have heard about the podcast recording, and that's why they're maybe um, so happy to have it. Well, she, so uh, backpedal. She asked me about stuff I've been working on, and um, script that I had that I've wanted to do for a long time was uh, about it explores how a man becomes abusive. And I remember uh, I grew up in an, in an abusive situation, and. Uh, I remember when I was I was with my first girlfriend. I was like 19. And she did something insane. She was at a park. And she took off her top, and uh, she let just a whole group of people, um, you know, just check out her body. And somebody called me and said, "This is happening." And I went, and I was so angry. As and I was 19 years old or 20 years old. Like I had never been with a girl before. I've never had these emotions before. And she came. She came to see me. She was drunk, and. I was like, and I punched my car like three times, right? And I've never shown that kind of aggression in front of somebody before. And I remember going back to to school, and I was I was really upset because I was I was worried. I was like, uh, what's that aggression from? Is is that going to continue? Does that escalate? Does that? What if it wasn't my car? If my car wasn't there, if I just happened to be there by myself, would I have done something else? And I had a therapist, and I was talking to my therapist, and she was like, well. Did you want to hit your girlfriend? And I said, well, no. It never crossed my mind that that was an option. But what if one day it does? And she said, no. It hasn't crossed your mind. Right. And so there's no reason to think that it would. You're not an abusive person if you haven't abused her. And that helped me calm down. And then I thought, well, why, why aren't I an abusive person? Which is probably not the right <laughs> question to ask. Why am I not this? <laughs> I feel like I should be. <laughs> like, it's, you know, this is what my comedy is. It's like these, these weird, um, you know, situations that are, are, were difficult for me, and how did, I, how did I deal with them? And I wrote this script, which uh, was meant to explore. Uh, it actually initially started off as a poem, and it moved into a script, um, which explores uh, how people become abusive. What's the, the background of it, and, and how do people, like, get this line between the, I'm just going to follow the... Uh, you know, same behavior and repeat the, the, the like, vicious cycle, or I'm going to, you know, start anew. And I think ultimately it's just is about how much you actually care about that, like how much, like, I, I really was worried that I might go down that path. And then I spent, like, from 20 to 24 years old just trying to figure out how to deal with anger because I've never had that level of anger and I didn't want to again. And also having people tell me, like, well, if you do have that level of anger again, how are you going to deal with it? And, and trying to figure out, you know, those things. And that script was supposed to help me explore that. So is that a culmination of all these, uh, would you call them anger issues? Or I, I, I wouldn't say that I had anger issues because there was only very few times. But because yeah. I was mostly in fear of just this one moment in my life of it's not going to keep happening. Yeah. Because the, the, time, the one time it happened, like, I wasn't... Uh, drinking then, I wasn't doing any drugs or anything like that, so I was just, the next day, I was like, how did that happen? So it just became this process of making sure that that doesn't happen again. And the script I've been holding on to for a few years, and when uh, our producer asked me about it, um, she said that she felt like she had a, some sort of connection with me um, regarding this, because... <laughs> 
we went really deep into it, and mother issues came up a lot. <laughs> and um, so she said she's been wanting to do uh, something regarding Medea. And so was her um, idea to use Medea as the, uh, sort yes. of the, the starting point? It was her idea to use that as the vehicle okay. um, to tell a, a different story. And, and the story, the reason they have the connection is because her question was, what drives a woman to... to like, like, just you know, people get jealous all the time. How could you be driven to murder your children? And then it just became these questions we were asking each other about. Like, well, well, where does it start? Does it start here? Does it start here? Does it start here? And then, for me, the you know, almost everything with psychosis. Uh, I shouldn't say psychosis. Almost everything with like um, uh, a lot of like uh, negative behaviors that people. Um, start to exhibit and, and then build on, all just comes down to communication. And we thought Medea would be an interesting vehicle to, to explore how communication can cause a relationship to, to crumble and, and fall apart and the, the, the tragedies that can come out of that. Why did you interpret it instead of just doing the, the play? Because exa- the play itself is pretty tragic in and of itself, but you've interpreted it to a, to a modern style. What, why did you choose to go that route? Um, I, uh, I think that our, our producer actually wanted to see um, Medea get her just desserts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if that was uh, really my, my initial intention for the, the, the original character of, of Medea, um, who is seen as a, a strong feminist woman, and, and because she, not because she killed her children, but because she... Um, you know, just took her life into her own hands and made her own decisions, uh, which was unique at the, at, you know, at the time in, in theater. Um, I think doing a modern adaptation, maybe maybe I took too much artistic liberty of like creative liberty with with how we interpreted the character. I think. What you saw, what the audience got to see, and what they will see when we have our video out of the play. Oh, so you recorded as well? well we recorded oh, the whole thing. It will, it will be online. Um, I think what people saw there was not was not entirely my interpretation um, of, of the play. I think if, if I get the chance to, to do a second run-through of it, it'll be more clear why uh, I wanted to do more of a modern adaptation. Right. Um, we wanted Medea herself to be a feminist character, but we did not want a feminist play. We also didn't want an anti-feminist play. Um, but what we really wanted to do was to have audiences see and feel. And, and to be clear, the audience was not supposed to be cultured, fear kids. Right. Yeah, yeah. We, we wanted to, to... The people. The people. Yeah. The people. And as a writer, uh, as a... No matter what aspect it is, it is of my life. I look at certain um, pieces of fiction or, or pieces of literature that have shaped my life, and I don't know how many other people had the same response that I did. But as a writer, like if I have one, you know, piece of, of work that people can watch and say like this helped me begin a journey of exploring something new in my life. That's what I'm really trying to get to. And if like you know just we had a lot of a lot of mothers at um, in the audience both nights. A lot, I'd say maybe maybe forty percent of the audience was were, were were mothers, and they like some people came up to me crying like 
they weren't crying at the ending. They were crying from just feeling that they they understood entirely what the, what the story was that was on uh, on the stage, and they interpreted something totally different and unique to themselves. And as a, as an artist, that 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 was really moving and powerful for me. What, what was the common interpretation? Uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't. I, what was one that sort of stood out to you? Um, one woman. Her, uh, I guess I can say her name. Her name's Ella. Uh, she no last name and she's Chinese so you'll never find her uh, search all the Ella's you can um, Ella messaged me and, and uh, after the show and I'd known her for about four or five years and she said at some point she stopped watching the play and she just started to uh, like uh, she took out her phone and she just started to message her husband and she was just explaining to her husband that like whatever that's been going on between them in that moment, um, they had to talk about it and they had to fix something because she uh, just felt like she had to say that. She wow. went back to the play mm. and was like, wow, do, do you remember when in the play that, <laughs> that happened? And she said, no, I, I don't. It was just something something ticked with her. And, and I think for a lot of a lot of the criticism that I got from some people, they and I think you actually said this to me when you saw me, you said, this is like an argument, right? It's yeah. basically an argument. It's like, Essentially, yeah, it was. But how often do you see a 45-minute, hour-long argument actually take place and where when we have arguments with people, we just move on, right? Or, like, mostly, I think a lot of people ignore whatever happened in the argument and you move on with their life and you hope the next day it's better. Well, if you go to sleep, you wake up and you move on. And you almost never go back to what happened in that argument. And I think for a lot of people... Um, I, I did want people to feel uncomfortable with what they were watching. I wanted them to feel like there was, uh, you know, these two... Really? Because it sure was uncomfortable watching two people scream at each other for 45 minutes. <laughs> I, I wish you were there for the second night. I wish you were the, the second... The, the actual notes that I... I, I, I kind of... Can I read you the notes? Is that okay? I, I'm going to read you the notes that um, uh, we have... Uh, is it this one? Yes. Okay. Hey guys, we can't change the play at this point, but we can keep some things in mind. Number one, uh, this, sorry Peter and Apple, uh, if you guys ever see this. Number one, lines, lines, lines. Peter, remember at the start, you need higher energy, more convincing, more fake. Now more fake, uh, in this sense, means he's trying to actually convince Medea of his, um, uh, his own intentions right um apple you can start with lower energy uh more sarcasm less emotional this gives your character a place to reach as the play goes on the ending tonight i think we can go with the original ending because they they switched the ending on thursday night okay as i we go with the original ending um i explained what that was uh which in the original ending um uh peter actually grabs apple and he, he pulls her down, and as they're struggling is when he um, he hits her with that stone. And the, the ending I wrote was not for him to go grab a stone and run across the stage and <laughs> smash her in the face with it. Um, and then we had some issues with the technical stuff, and, and that was totally fixed on, right. on the Friday show. But, but primarily, it was that, I think Thursday, they were extremely nervous. Um, we hadn't had like a real proper run through because we were having a lot of technical issues. So Jeez. usually have like, you know, the dress rehearsal before the show. Yeah. And you go, we didn't get that. 
So when the show started, they were like, here. <laughs> and just from the get-go, like I, I mentioned to, to our actress, like she like threw sand, kicked sand at him like four times. She's like, I did it once. And I'm like, no. <laughs> there was sand just flying. Uh, and I'm really glad the Friday show was way better because if it wasn't, I would feel really, it would feel difficult talking about this now. Um... <laughs> Because now Thursday night is funny. It's like, oh, that was a, that was a weird night. Oh, that wasn't what we wanted. Friday was much more in line. Yeah. It still wasn't perfect, but, you know, it's, we only had a two-night run, and it's the first time for most of us um, in, outside of our producer and the, the actual team um, before, like, myself doing theater or uh, them doing, like, in a theater like 77. Um, <laughs> Have you worked before with them, or is this uh, no, your well, first collaboration? It was all of our first collaboration. I would love to work with them again. Um, I, I would like to do Medea though with different, uh, a different actor and actress, um, just because I think they're already really in tune with their their understanding of the character, and there's a side that I'd still like to see explored. Yeah. Um, but there the, the the in terms of like the the uncomfortability of the of the audience. Um, I think Thursday was too much. It's definitely too much. Friday was a little bit was a little bit better. But again, it, like the a lot of the criticism that, that came to me about that about the argument aspect of it was uh, it's just weird watching an argument for for an hour. What did what did it mean? What were you saying? And then there were people who had ex- like frequently maybe experienced this kind of situation who felt. Not that they, they became more introspective about it and, right. and were able to just connect it to themselves. And I've got a lot of messages that I have from, from people, and um, those I, I take the criticism not with a grain of, grain of salt, I, I actually take it very seriously. I would like to see a lot of improvement going forward. Um, but what I really care about is the people who, even if it wasn't the story I wanted to tell, the people who still watched something that I was part of and felt it meant something to, to their lives. To me, it was kind of a typical Chinese uh, drama, in a sense, because it was a Chinese woman who was crying, and then she died. In that sense, it was very typical. Oh, God. I mean, did you ever think about not killing the Chinese woman, or maybe make the guy cry and die instead? Um, so she was supposed to, her death was supposed to be accidental. And that was a really big thing. She, so she was supposed to die. Um, and it was supposed to be accidental, which, which takes it. The play was seeking to, to undermine both of their, their intentions. Um, uh, they both had two very specific um, desires for the outcomes. And in a tragedy, nobody gets that desire fulfilled. Right. Everybody's supposed to lose. And uh, what didn't come through the first night, it came through a little bit better the second night, uh, was... Um, that when she dies, her death also means basically an ending to Jason's uh, future, his life. It's over. Um, what was dropped out of the Thursday night showing is him actually taking the rope that she had. This is supposed to be a noose. Um, I, I wish there was a better way to represent that as well on stage. And that uh, ended up being a, a stage um, setting, scene, scene yeah. issue that we ended up having. Um, but in the end, you have him contemplating 
of his own suicide or waiting for the police to come where he will inevitably be arrested for the murder of his wife, his mistress, his mistress's father, the children, everybody falls gets, on him. He gets blamed for everything. He gets blamed for everything. Or he can run away from that too and, you know, take his own life, which he has a lot of pride and doesn't want to do that. He spent a lot of time trying to just, you know, like his entire life life has basically been trying to weasel his way into to more powerful positions and now he's lost all that power. Um for him to actually kill Medea would actually make him guilty, which Thursday night I was, I was kind of furious with just the way that turns out because it, that's that's Medea winning on Thursday night when he gets to actually take the stone and he runs across stage and he murders her. Well, then he is guilty and we've lost the nuance of, so of the story. They sort of took uh, artistic liberty in the moment there on Thursday night. No. It, it was that they had themselves practiced that scene um, uh, the day before with the producer and because they had... Thing, don't worry. Okay. Uh, they had um, this idea together. They wanted to talk about it with the producer. I wasn't there the, the night before the, the play. Um, uh, I was there for maybe 80% of the rehearsals. Um, and where, because we didn't get to do the dress rehearsal, they explained it to me that they had this, this idea for a different ending, which they think would... we Because our, our original ending, there was some... Uh, just with uh, logistical issues with how it was actually going to happen that we had even until the day of we had rehearsed it 500 times and we just whether it was angles or or just different small issues that we had with it and they explained it to me and I was so nervous for them um, that it's like this this first night and I, I just didn't want to upset them in any way like <laughs> I don't. I didn't want to push them off the track for for the play. I'm like, you know what, you guys just go do what you got to do. Just do what you got to do. It's night one. We're out here. You guys have prepared a lot. Um, uh, well, and what happens happens. So what's uh, what's next after this? You've done Medea. You're you're doing a comedy show right now. What's uh, what's the next big sort of step? I mean, a musical comedy. Oh God. Well, okay. theatrical. What kind? Uh, it's called tentatively. Um, the working title, La Wai Zai Beijing, okay. the foreigner in Beijing. Um, the twist is that the foreigner is a Chinese person who had been abroad for about ten, ten years, and they come back to Beijing, and everything's run by foreigners. Right. <laughs> and he's the La Wai. So you have uh, like the very first. I don't know if it's going to be the first scene or if it's going to be in the first. It's definitely in the first act. Like he gets off the plane. He lands in Beijing. He's really excited. He's back home. He hasn't been back home in years because uh, he was in. He was studying his bachelor's and then his master's and then he got a job. Now he's back and he goes home and his mom's like, "I need you to go to the market to get this." And he goes out to the market and everything's organic and it's all run by foreigners. <laughs> and it's like a parody of like the Beijingers. Like like the Beijinger has events all the time, right? Yeah. It's like this pop up and and that pop up. So he goes to like the uh, the this this market and it's just a bunch of foreigners with their little um you know their their little kiosks and they start singing uh you know their song to them like welcome to China this is Beijing where like all the locals sing but all the locals are foreigners like would you like our our would you like our apples they're organic how about some tacos they're authentic like I like I don't 
Like, it's just, I'm working through it right now, but I have this idea for the, the reverse culture shock of, like, because I would want to write this going back to New York, because when I did go back after just being in China for a year, it was terrifying. It was like, yeah. I don't know what this world is. So I would like to switch it where, like, it's the, the Chinese person coming back, and just because Beijing has such a strong foreign influence right now, yeah. um, I would really like to parody that in, in a way. And in a way, that's, that's you know, builds everyone up. Like, at the, at the end of the day, I don't want it to be anti-foreigner, because I'm one of the loud <laughs> Right. Um, and so it's really going to be about finding identity in, which is what all my stories are about. Almost everything I have written is, is coming of age. Um, my comedy is just all about, like, the, the egg is on my face because I just haven't found out who I am yet or who I'm supposed to be. So... Uh, I think it's it's going to be about identity, and I've, I've started working on some like musical bits for it with one of my friends, and I'm really excited for it. Does this work in your punk uh, history into it, or is this something completely different? Completely different. Mm. Completely. I mean, there might be some, some punk. There, there's definitely going to be some, some like um, power chords infused uh, uh, in it, but it's, 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 it's going to be... So, so the thing that happened with Medea, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, is I just started to feel more respect from a lot of people. Yeah. And I've had an outpouring of people saying, next project you have, I would love to be part of it. Can I be part of it? Can I be part of it? It's like, that's good. No. <laughs> I don't know you. <laughs> Why would I put you in it? Uh, but but uh, jokes aside, I, I feel like having a community who, who respects me and is interested in seeing what I have to do next and interested in being part of it, I feel really lucky to have that. So, like doing this music video, just this outpouring of people. I'd love to to help you with it. It's like cool because helping me do the art that I want to do um, is actually helping a, a whole community have the chance to do the stuff that they want to do. Mm -hmm. Like I'm I'm certainly not somebody who who just wants to do things for myself. I wanna I wanna also uplift the people around me. That's always been my thing. Like we have a, now a comedy show once a month just for the like the newbies who aren't quite ready for prime time, not quite ready to be on like a real show, but they've been doing open mics a lot and open mic audiences are really hard to tell like am I really funny or not? Like that joke everybody tells me that joke's really good, but I always do it at the open mic and nobody laughs. So it's like, all right, I'm gonna put in my time. Like, you know, we don't make any money off of this. Like let's just put out the show for new people to actually get this chance and you know, we get people in and so I really wanna try to like anybody who's ever been willing to like scratch my back, like for the, the Guanxi, is I I'm definitely gonna go out of my way to, to also help you get to where you want to go, and I think that's that's who I am. All right, well, uh, it's pretty good. All right, so we look forward to seeing how your your career develops here in Beijing. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, where do they find you? How do they find you? Donnyfan.com. You can actually uh, <laughs> there's a it's a new website. It's really cool. And you, there's a like message me button, and that goes to my email. Uh, I guess that's better than give, go to my donnyfan.com, find my, send me your WeChat, and then I'll add you. So or, what if they don't uh, have WeChat? Tinder. Tin find me on <laughs> Tinder. I'm there. You just gotta swipe right. I'm doing comedy. I'm in a red shirt, and uh, my my profile is kind of interesting. So you can find me on Tinder, WeChat, DonnieFan.com. Uh, twi no, my Twitter's just all anti-LeBron James. Um, don't find my Twitter account. Uh, 
I don't really use Instagram. Oh, Weibo. If you don't have WeChat, but you have Weibo, you're a psycho. Um, uh, TikTok, Doin, Donnie Fan Comedy. Donnie Fan Comedy is pretty much everything, except for DonnieFan.com. Cheers. Yeah. All right, cheers, dude. Thanks for uh, Thank taking so the much. time. I appreciate yes. it. You're busy. I mean, we got the audience already here waiting for yeah. uh, the, the big show to connect. So, there we go. I can't cheers. see Thanks him. I'm going to put my glass on. Yes, thank you so much, man. <laughs> Thanks again. All right, so we'll leave it there. Episode number 28 of the Steven Sersky Podcast. That's me. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for taking the time uh, to listen in that conversation with uh, Donnie Fan today. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. hope you guys learned some things, had some good laughs. Show notes and the tracks are available up on my website, stevensersky.com. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll talk again. Bye-bye.